Hi, I'm Lone Candle. Can the military-industrial base of the United States sustain the equipment, weapons, and munitions required for war against a great power like Russia or China? Not really. Unlike the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, a war against a major power would burn through military goods and U.S. factories would not come close to producing enough to match the burn rate. The U.S. could try to retool civilian factories like they did in World War II, but A, that took several years even back then, and B, modern technology requires several specialized parts, rare materials, particular knowledge, and special security, making it difficult to simply retool a civilian factory. Nevertheless, the country could still surge capacity, but that would take years, and even then, the production capability would not match the burn rate. The massive costs of having factories and employees in waiting to produce equipment that may never be needed and may soon be obsolete has discouraged the U.S. from maintaining a sufficient military-industrial base. Building and sustaining such a base at a level to match the burn rate of a great war will probably never happen, but the country still needs to improve these capabilities to maximize the chances of winning a great power war, and to help deter other countries from entering one with the United States. CSIS War Games have found that the U.S. would use its entire stockpiles of some key munitions within one week of a Taiwan Strait conflict with China. After nine months of intense fighting with a major power, the U.S. military would be greatly reduced. At this point, the Army may be limited to infantry weapons and gun trucks, with modern weapons only dripping in. The United States doesn't have an overwhelming advantage over peer competitors, and would likely be fighting close to enemy territory. According to a war game, under a relatively positive scenario, the U.S. could lose two aircraft carriers and 700 to 900 combat aircraft in a fight over Taiwan. And the longer a war, the more the losses. The war in Ukraine is a real and modern war, but is not an all-out fight between great powers. Nevertheless, it has shown that a long war will likely turn industrial, where the two countries' abilities to produce weapons is a key factor in the outcome. The British Royal Navy during the Falklands War used up its Cold War stocks of anti-submarine munitions against Argentina. In Israel's 1973 war, out of 1,700 tanks, they lost 400, losing roughly 1.1% daily. The Arabs lost more. In the 1943 Battle of Kursk, the Germans lost 14% a day, so we could use a lower bar of losing 1% of tanks a day to estimate losses. If all 15 U.S. armored brigades were in combat, 13 tanks a day could be lost. Using replacements from maintenance and training, the brigade combat teams could maintain full strength for two months, then weaken quickly to 74% in the fourth month, 55% in the fifth month, and 41% in the sixth. The Army hopes it could surge to 28 tanks a month, but this does not match the loss of 390 per month. The U.S. would have to resort to using old and obsolete tanks what can be refitted from civilian equipment and production, and what can be purchased on the world market.
Ukraine has shown how quickly the U.S. can run low on weapons and how insufficient the U.S. military industrial base is. Reportedly, the U.S. gave a third of its Javelin anti-tank missiles to Ukraine in the first weeks of the war, and replacing them may take years. The U.S. is limited in the amount of high-mobility artillery rocket systems and their rockets it can send to Ukraine because it needs to maintain its own stockpile. The Pentagon has been slow to restock inventory that was sent to Ukraine. Stagnant assembly lines, a lack of specialized parts, and disrupted international supply chains have been impediments. Ukraine uses the FIM-02 Stinger to defend against Russian air assets, but the U.S. didn't plan on restocking these until the 2030s due to a focus on a new version of the Stinger. Due to obsolete parts and trouble getting qualified workers, Raytheon said additional Stingers won't be built for years. There has also been concerns about the U.S. supplying Ukraine with 155mm artillery munitions, HARMS anti-radiation missiles, GMLRs surface-to-surface missiles, and counter-artillery radar. The U.S. started sending 105mm howitzers and munitions instead of the 155mm because of the limits on what it can afford to send of the 155. To continue supplying munitions to Ukraine, the U.S. is sending stocks from overseas. Defense officials have said that they don't send Ukraine what they need for their own contingencies. CSIS ran almost two dozen war games on a U.S.-China-Taiwan Strait war and found that the U.S. used more than 5,000 long-range missiles in three weeks, consisting of 4,000 joint air-to-surface standoff missiles, 450 long-range anti-ship missiles, 400 harpoon missiles, and 400 tomahawk missiles. Long-range weapons would be crucial because Chinese defenses are probably too strong for short-range weapons. In each war game, the U.S. ran out of long-range anti-ship missiles within a week of the war. Such missiles take almost two years to make, so the country could not quickly replenish the stockpiles. It's not just these CSIS war games. Other analyses have found similar results. Furthermore, getting weapons to a war on the other side of the world would be difficult when the enemy are blocking and destroying such shipments. So, the U.S. needs larger stockpiles in theater. U.S. partners in Europe and Asia are also not prepared to produce sufficient goods for a long war. So, this is not just a U.S. problem, but a U.S. and her allies problem. The industrial base's ability to surge capacity in time of need is limited and slow. Military goods take a significant time to build. One CSIS study found that at surge production rates, it would take 8.4 years on average to replace major defense acquisition program inventories. For different things, this ranged from 2.3 years to over 20 years for ships. The problem is the worst for the Navy. Ships would probably not be replaced during a war. To replace all aircraft carriers would take 50 years. Systems with comparable civilian products had the fastest replacement time. Things have been getting worse. From 1999 to 2020, average replacement times increased from 6.6 years to 8.4. Some missiles take two years to produce. Surging production can take at least 18 to 24 months to implement. 
COVID, the war in Ukraine, and difficulty hiring and retaining workers have made lead times worse. The industrial base also needs to be prepared to repair weapon systems during a major war. Reminiscing about World War II and the United States' successful ramp-up of military production may be misleading for two reasons. One, in World War II, the United States wasn't fully rammed up until the end of 1943 or 1944 due to bottlenecks, shortages in materials, and shifting civilian production to military production. This was a multi-year ramp-up that the United States had the breathing room to do because our allies were already bearing much of the fighting. The United States got to start ramping up before it even entered the war, starting its increase in defense spending in 1938, entering the war in 1942, and achieving full capacity by 1944. In a future fight, the U.S. will probably not be so lucky. Second, during and before World War II, the U.S. had an industrial-focused economy apt to produce war goods that was underutilized due to the Great Depression. In a war with China, it will be China that is the world's factory. China has a 3-to-1 production advantage in shipbuilding and could produce weapons for itself and Russia. Not only is there limited extra capacity in the defense industry, but U.S. manufacturing more generally doesn't have excess in machine tools or trained labor. Our peacetime efficient industries don't maintain expensive, unused capacity. Compared to World War II, current equipment is more complicated, is harder to manufacture, utilizes more top-secret technologies, requires more security clearances, uses more parts from different places, needs more rare minerals, etc. These differences make surging more difficult. During World War I, the U.S. did not surge production in time, and the British and French supplied most tanks, artillery, and machine guns for the Americans. U.S. industry wasn't ramped up on these until the end of the war. In a major war, the U.S. will have trouble replacing losses. Even if victorious, the military would be significantly weaker for years to come. Labor and supply chains constrain the ability to surge production. It takes time to hire and train workers. When companies keep minimal production capacity, they don't have the available skilled labor to expand, and this has to be pulled out of the labor market and trained. Modern military equipment often requires a variety of high-tech components and rare minerals. For needed components, any missing piece prevents the good from being produced, and such components are made by a variety of companies, each of which need to maintain profitability to stay in business. From 2019 through 2022, Lockheed Martin had at least 110 subcontractors for HIMARS and 60 for GMLRs. Some businesses shut down or moved to rival countries. Sometimes key components or subcomponents come from one source, making the supply of such components incredibly vulnerable. A Defense Department report to Congress in 2018 found that over 80% of the vehicle production for the Army and Marines is done by one manufacturer on one assembly line. It also found that shortfalls of explosives were caused when a single producer could not produce enough. Subcontractors of components or subcomponents can retool for other customers or go out of business. 
they may use parts from foreign companies that have different priorities or are in hostile countries. Thus, not only do we need to focus on increasing the capacity of end items in large defense companies, but the capacity of sub-tier companies, and we need multiple sources for key components. An F-35 requires 300,000 distinct parts. When the U.S. removed Turkey from the F-35 program due to their purchase of Russian S-400 air defenses, it took multiple years for the U.S. to replace the 1,000 parts produced in Turkey. Manufacturing high-tech equipment requires special manufacturing tools, processes, and materials. This makes producing these in short time frames or increasing their production in wartime difficult. Production also has to have advanced cyber defenses, which is challenging for new companies to implement. Surging will require hiring many new workers, which will all need security clearances, making hiring a slow process. To give and maintain such clearances takes the government time to do the background investigations. Also, building classified goods requires companies to obtain security clearances. Many systems require high-skilled software engineers, and suppliers have difficulty hiring them and other STEM workers. Polls of defense companies overwhelmingly agree that it is not easy to hire defense workers, and they say it's difficult to compete for talent with non-defense industries. The military has to compete for high-tech components in rare minerals with worldwide demand. Rare earth metals are needed for different missiles and munitions, but China commands the markets for some such metals. We need to develop additional sources. Additionally, China leads the world in cast products, which are used in military goods, machine tools, and manufacturing systems. Minerals and components that the U.S. supply chain is vulnerable to include titanium, aluminum, other metals, semiconductors, missile propulsion, high-temperature materials, and a variety of microelectronics. Relying on China for rare earth minerals is a special problem, as China is unlikely to supply such minerals if the two countries are at war. Another problem is that the U.S. has been prioritizing efficiency and cost control instead of speed and capacity, and changing this will take time. Since the end of the Cold War, many defense companies either went out of business or consolidated. In the 1990s, the U.S. had 51 prime defense contractors. They have five today. This consolidation means that if one company has a problem, there is less opportunity to find an alternative source of a key part. And these five companies are all interconnected, supplying each other, so a problem in one company could affect the others. Complex aluminum and magnesium sand castings needed to make aircraft parts are supplied by four suppliers, and they face risk of bankruptcy due to inconsistent and unpredictable Pentagon funding. Recent problems include a component needed to protect from chemical attack could not be produced to meet demand. It took the Pentagon two years to find out that a producer of missile components closed, and the Marines had only one qualified source for a heavy lift platform. And when it went through bankruptcy due to quality issues, the program had to be delayed. The United States relies on private companies for the development and production of military goods. 
These companies turned to lean manufacturing and just-in-time delivery that does not keep a lot of spare parts in inventory. This saves money, but limits the ability to surge production. These companies have the goal of making a profit, and they need profits in order to stay in business. Keeping excess capacity that may or may not be used is very expensive. Military orders are unpredictable due to the changing nature of foreign threats and to changing political decisions and office holders. Something that would help defense companies maintain more capacity is predictable orders. If a company can be confident that a certain weapon will be purchased in certain quantities over a number of years, it will make more sense to maintain more productive capacity. Because the U.S. is often the sole buyer of certain military products, or the dominant one, if the U.S. stops ordering, manufacturers may close production lines and smaller businesses may close. Without multi-year contracts, companies can't predict demand. For example, the Ukraine war seems like it could produce demand for years to come, but the two sides could negotiate a settlement. Or an administration or Congress could decide it has had enough of supporting war. So even fighting a proxy war leaves much uncertainty to the consistency of demand. Another example, in the fight against ISIS, the U.S. almost used all of its joint direct attack munition bombs, Hellfire missiles, and some short-range precision-guided weapons. During the ISIS fight, the U.S. invested money to surge Hellfire production to 10000 a year. Then, after the main ISIS fight was over, decided it didn't want them. Lockheed had to pursue foreign buyers and felt stung by the production drop-in orders. Companies want long lead times and a clear understanding of future demand. The military sometimes changes its requirements to industry which causes delays and prevents contractors from preparing for additional production. Continuing resolutions rather than real budgets, as well as government shutdowns, make demand unpredictable and can delay or eliminate the supply of funds. Smaller businesses and middle-tier suppliers struggle to stay afloat when their cash flow is interrupted. This also hurts the hiring and retaining of workers. Another challenge is that regulation makes working with the Defense Department difficult. Polls show that businesses find it difficult to work with the Defense Department. The best way to fight a war is to prevent it from happening. To achieve this, deterrence is a key strategy. The United States can deter potential enemies in two ways. Deterrence by denial and deterrence by punishment. Denial is preventing a country from succeeding when an action is taken as in the country tries to take an action, and the U.S. military stops them. Maintaining the ability to deny actions may deter countries because they don't want to take an action unless they will succeed. Deterrence by punishment deters by way of implementing high costs if an adversary takes an unwanted action. If the U.S. wants other countries to believe that it can and will deter in such ways, it needs the industrial base to support a long war with great powers, as well as ample stockpiles of munitions and weapons. The Department of Defense and Congress need a plan and need it implemented yesterday. The U.S. is aware of the problem, but whether they will do enough to be sufficient is unclear. In response to the Ukraine war, Department of Defense officials have said they will triple the production of 155mm shells in a few years. The Army also gave a contract for full-rate production of HIMARS. Additionally, 
they are starting a second source for Javelin missile rocket motors. The FY 2023 National Defense Authorization Act allows the Defense Department to create multi-year contracts for some munitions for Ukraine and, maybe, Taiwan. But this is far from fixing the problems. The Pentagon has been telling companies that lack of surge production is an issue. Trump signed an executive order to assess and strengthen the industrial base and supply chain. A 2018 White House-mandated study concluded that the Defense Production Act, Title III, needs to be used to fund and guarantee the survival of important production lines. The United States needs to study the process and difficulties of surging industrially, find ways to limit bottlenecks down the supply chain, eliminate attrition and expenditure rates during wars, and have a plan to supplement equipment from places other than new production, like by converting civilian systems to military ones and using foreign equipment. The military needs to reassess total munition requirements and replenishment requirements, create a strategic munitions reserve, make a sustainable munitions procurement plan, broaden acquisition approaches, invest in sub-tiers, streamline the selling of weapons to allies and partners, create more co-production facilities, and ally shore. The Pentagon should buy munitions with long-term five-year contracts so industry will have a stable income flow to make more capacity worth it. They shouldn't give one manufacturer all the orders. This drives other companies out of business and makes the government dependent on one company. The military should maintain two capable producers. The military has set stockpiles too low. Given the extreme burn rate of modern peer competitor war, stockpile requirements need to be very large. We also need to take a close look at regulations on defense companies to see which burdens are necessary and which can be dispensed with or relaxed. The United States is not prepared for a long war with a peer competitor. Worse, the United States is not prepared for a month-long war with a peer competitor. The country is no longer overwhelmingly stronger than other great powers. A war with such a power will include heavy losses and expend massive amounts of munitions. The U.S. neither has the appropriate stockpiles nor manufacturing capability. Congress, the President, the military, and the defense industry must act now to expand surge production. Such an endeavor will be extremely expensive, and Congress won't fully fund excess capability to meet the needs of a great power war. Nevertheless, even modest expansions will help the country win such a war, and with a little luck, may prevent an epic bloodbath from ever happening due to rivals understanding the capacity of the United States to build and repair weapons of war. Well, I'm Lone Candle. Like me, comment me, love me. Because I love you, and me loving you without you loving me back really hurts. It, it hurts a lot. I, I'm crying right now, not with actual tears, because my tears ran out many years ago, but inside, it hurts.
love me because I love you. <laughs> hmm.